Welcome to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. I'm your host, Shannon Felt, teacher trainer, resource provider, and course creator for teachers around the world. In each episode, I'll share concrete strategies to help you sharpen your skills and become the very best teacher you can be. We're talking all things ELT, the most effective classroom practices, communicative methodology, and valuable tips for planning and teaching so you can help your students see real improvement in their language abilities. We'll also hear from language teachers and ELT professionals all over the globe who are making inspiring moves in our industry. So thanks for joining me. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hey everybody, Shannon here. Welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons. In this episode, let's talk a little bit about error correction. Error correction is certainly something that comes up when teaching, whether in person or online, and it's something that I often get questions about. The main questions tend to be things like when to correct errors in a lesson, how to correct errors in a lesson, what are the best methods of error correction, and whether or not we should actually correct every error or attempt to correct every error that our students make. So whether you're teaching in person or online, the advice is pretty similar. So let's get to some answers to those questions. First of all, before we can talk about the errors themselves and how to correct them, we need to back up a little bit and think about the two things that you could focus on at any point in a lesson. So at any particular point in a lesson, you basically have two options in terms of what the focus is. One of those things is accuracy. The other is fluency. So if the focus is on accuracy for a particular exercise or at a particular point in the lesson, that means that the focus of that part of the lesson or of that exercise is to get it right. We're checking to see whether the students can use language correctly. So for example, if this is a grammar lesson, let's say we've just learned the, or I've just taught the students as the teacher a new grammatical structure and the student is now doing a practice activity with that grammar. Let's say it's a controlled practice activity, meaning there's a right or a wrong answer. It's not just a discussion using the grammar, but it's something like a fill in the blank exercise um, or like a rewrite the sentence exercise using a, a slightly different grammatical structure. So some kind of controlled exercise in which the students are practicing the grammar that we've just gone over and we're checking to see if they can use the grammar now correctly. So again, there's a right or wrong answer, and this is exactly what we're checking to see if the students can get now that we've taught the grammar. So in this case, the focus is absolutely on accuracy. The whole purpose, the main aim of that lesson is whatever grammar we just covered, and now we're checking to see if the students can use that grammar correctly. Another example of an accuracy focus might be a pronunciation drill. Let's say it's a vocabulary exercise and, or a vocabulary lesson, perhaps. We've just taught the students a new word, and now as the teacher, I'm modeling and drilling that vocabulary word to make sure the students know how to pronounce it. So the only reason that I'm modeling and drilling that word in the first place is to make sure the students pronounce it right. So the whole purpose, again, of drilling is so that the students can hear me pronounce it correctly and then when they repeat it, they can get as close as possible to mimicking my pronunciation so they're also pronouncing it in the right way. 
So in both of these cases, the focus is on accuracy. The focus is on getting language correct. Alternatively, a focal point in a particular part of the lesson could be on fluency. So if the focus is on fluency, that means that the point is not about getting everything perfectly correct. The point is to push students to just keep speaking or keep writing, to keep producing language for an extended period of time without stopping or getting stuck or tripping over their words. So basically, we're letting the students practice this feeling of just keep going, even if you're not sure everything you're saying is correct, or even if you're making a couple of small mistakes here and there, right? So this is a completely opposite focus to accuracy. And we need both of these things to have good, proficient language skills. So an example of a part in the lesson that might be a fluency focus could be a personalized discussion task. Maybe you've put the students in pairs, they're in breakout rooms, they're talking to their partner, they're answering some discussion questions, they're getting really invested in expressing their opinions and hearing what their partner has to say. This is a speaking fluency exercise. So in this case, we're not concerned with whether the students are using perfect grammar or using specific vocabulary words. We're just giving them practice speaking, right? Speaking for an extended period of time, expressing themselves in whatever way they can to get more comfortable using English to share their ideas. They might be wondering if everything's correct. They might even be hearing themselves make some mistakes as they're doing this. But this is a really valuable exercise as well, that they're getting this practice at just continuing on, even if they're not sure it's perfect. Even as very proficient speakers of a language or native speakers of a language, we make little mistakes here and there when we're speaking, but we understand that that's not a big deal, right? As long as it doesn't hinder the other person being able to understand us, we kind of just let it go. So we want to show our students that it's possible to do the same, even if they're not proficient speakers or writers yet in English. Another example might be in a writing lesson. For the actual writing task part of a writing lesson, let's say we're getting the students to write uh, a blog entry or a blog, a blog entry, would you say that? A blog post? A blog? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, you're getting the students to write something. Who cares what it is at this point? Um, so the students are writing something. This is the actual writing task part of the lesson. So again, the focus here is not to use any specific grammar, not to get the spelling perfect, not to get all the tenses and punctuation perfect. That's not what we're trying to do here. The purpose is that we're trying to help the students practice writing an extended piece of text to just keep going, to produce a whole text in a specific amount of time so that they feel more comfortable doing this whenever they need to do this in real life. Of course, they can go back and edit it later, but you've got to get a first draft down before you can go back and correct it, right? And sometimes you just have to let yourself go, no matter how proficient you are in that language, and get down the initial draft before you go back and do your editing and correcting and rewriting. So again, in that point of the lesson, the focus is just on writing fluency. We're not going to stop and have the students interrupt their work every single time they think they've made a small error. That might come later when they do a peer edit stage or self-correcting stage um, or when you correct their work as the teacher. Okay, so we have these two different options. At any point in the lesson, at any exercise, for any exercise we're doing in the lesson, the focus can either be on accuracy or on fluency. It's going to be one or the other. And again, one of these things is not better or preferable compared to the other. 
We need both of them to become proficient in a language. So we're going to have a balance between the two throughout a lesson. So let's use that information now and come back to our question about error correction. So the first big question is, when should we correct errors? The first question that you want to ask yourself when you hear a student make an error is a really important one. So for me, this is the whole key to understanding if you should correct an error, when you should correct an error. This is the question. And this is something that my uh, one of my very early teacher trainers told me, and I found it to be incredibly helpful advice, and it's stuck with me ever since. So when you hear a student make an error, the question you need to ask yourself is, is this an accuracy moment? Is this an accuracy moment? So is the focus of that particular exercise, that particular moment in the lesson on accuracy? If the answer is no, then that means it's a fluency moment. The focus of that particular point in the lesson is fluency, not accuracy. And then the answer is you should not correct the error at that time. That doesn't mean that you can never address the error. It just means that you should not jump in and interrupt the student in that moment to correct it. Okay, so we know that we're not going to interrupt the student right then if the answer is no, it's not an accuracy moment because then the only alternative is it's a fluency moment and we're working on fluency. So interrupting the student at that point means that you're going to interrupt the fluency, which means you're going against the entire reason you're having the student do that activity in the first place. So again, it doesn't mean you can never address the error. It just means you're not going to address the error or interrupt and correct the error at that particular moment. So you're going to wait until the activity is over. Then we can figure out what to do with the error. So from there, once you've determined it's not an accuracy moment, it's a fluency moment, I'm not going to interrupt at that particular time. The next thing to think about is whether or not the error needs to be corrected ever at all. So from here, you can ask yourself a few follow-up questions. Um, reasons why we may or may not correct an error if it's a fluency moment. So obviously, again, we're not going to correct it at that particular moment, but we might want to correct it later once the students have finished their discussion or once we've moved on to a different point in the lesson. So here are some things to think about. Um, first of all, is this error that the student just made um, is this regarding something that's terribly specific to that particular conversation? Maybe the student made the error because it's really not a very common word uh, or really not something that comes up very often. And it's extremely specific to just that particular conversation, whatever that particular student is trying to say. Is it unlikely that the students will ever really need to use that particular word or structure again? If so, probably not necessary to ever correct the error. You can probably just let it go. Um, is it something that the students haven't even learned yet? Like, did the student make that error because it was on a grammatical structure that you haven't even covered with the students yet? It's maybe a few chapters ahead of where you are in the course book. In that case, it's very understandable why the student made that error, but it's not really going to make sense for you to correct it if you haven't even taught it initially at that point. So again, ignore it at that time. Later on in the course, you're going to get to that grammar and then the students will learn it at that time. So probably not an error that you need to address after the activity. 
Um, or maybe it's an error that the student made and you know that they know that, right? It's, it's very common grammar. It's pretty easy grammar. Maybe this is an upper intermediate student and you know that this is something that students learn at the pre-intermediate level, right? You know that the student is just tired or maybe you know that the student was really into that conversation and they just kind of forgot to think about grammar for a second. In that case, is it really even an error? Maybe it's just a little slip, you know, a little mistake. And in that case, again, no need to correct because the student knows, right? It was just a kind of a, a mistake. So in all of those cases, you can leave it alone, forget the error. It doesn't need to be corrected, certainly in the moment, as we said, but even after the activity. However, if the error that you hear is somehow related to the focus of the lesson, Right, like maybe it's um, not a vocabulary lesson, but it's a vocabulary word that is very common to the context of the lesson uh, that you've set up. Or maybe it's a grammatical structure, the error is with a particular grammar that the students learned pretty recently, like a few classes ago, and you're noticing that they're still making some mistakes with it because they don't quite have it completely correct yet. Uh, or maybe it's something very common. For example, my upper intermediate students always make mistakes with the phrase, I agree. They tend to want to say, I'm agree. I'm agree with you. I'm not agree with you. Which, that's a pretty common thing that we need to know how to say. So if it's something that the students are, are going to need to know and use pretty frequently, um, then definitely you're going to want to address it later. If it's somehow related to the focus of the lesson, you're going to want to address it later. If it's something you know the students have learned recently and they probably need some review, that's a good reason to address it later. So in these cases where the answer is yes, it would be useful to address it at some point. Again, we're not going to address it in the moment because it's a fluency moment, but we can address the error in a delayed error correction stage. So what that looks like. A delayed error correction stage is exactly what it sounds like. It's an error correction stage that comes later after you've finished the fluency activity. So what you can do is while the students are doing the fluency activity, for example, maybe it's a pair discussion and the students are speaking in breakout rooms and this is where you're hearing certain errors that you want to address later. You can be noting down the errors that you hear so that you can later share those with the students and have the students correct themselves. So what I like to do if my students are in breakout rooms is I actually um, create a blank slide on the PowerPoint presentation that I've been teaching from in that lesson. And if the students are in breakout rooms, that means I'm not sharing my screen. So, you know, privately on my own desktop, I have my PowerPoint open. I open up a new slide and I actually just type the sentences with errors that I hear right into the slide. So by the time the students have finished the activity, I have my sentences with the errors right there that I heard ready to go. Right, so again, this only works if you're not screen sharing because you certainly don't want the students to see you doing this. That's gonna be really distracting. Um, so make sure you're not sharing that particular screen. If it's a really small class, like it's only three or four people in the whole class and so they need to be looking at the discussion questions on your shared screen, then open a new presentation right, that you're not screen sharing, um, or a Word doc or some other medium that the students can't see, and type the sentences that you hear right into that document so you're ready to go when the students finish their conversation. 
All right, so you've got your errors ready. You can also, so you're not just noting down errors, uh, note down examples of good language that you hear, right? Maybe you heard a particularly sophisticated vocabulary word or grammatical structure, um, or the student used some language that you've learned recently and they used it perfectly and you want to praise that. You can note down those kinds of sentences too so that you can kind of give a balance between constructive feedback and correction and also positive feedback and praise. So once you have that prepared, which you should be able to get pretty much ready while the students are still doing the actual activity, the first thing you want to do before you jump right into the errors is get some content feedback. So by that I mean the students have finished their conversations, you still need to follow up and ask them what they talked about before you jump right into the errors. You don't want to say, okay, you know, stop talking to your partner now. And now here, look at all your mistakes, <laughs> right? Like you need to give them some kind of first content feedback, positive feedback, get some feedback from them about what they actually discussed, what they learned in their conversations, what they enjoyed about their conversations before you get right into the technical accuracy correction stuff. So make sure you do that content feedback first. Then you can get to the error correction. So at this point, you can share the slide or the Word document or Google Doc or whatever it is where you've put those sentences with the errors and maybe also some of the sentences with good examples of language that you heard. And you can get the students to correct. This is going to be a lot more powerful. So rather than you just telling the student, look at the first sentence, here's the mistake, this is how you correct it you're actually going to let the students look at the sentences and have a little time to try to figure out the errors and the corrections themselves. If you have time, you could even let the students take a screenshot of that slide and then talk together in pairs and try to correct the errors that way. If not, you can elicit the corrections with the whole class. Just make sure you give the students a minute quietly to look over the sentences first and see if they can spot and correct the errors on their own before you just jump in and kind of spoon feed them the answers. So what I mean is then you can say, okay, everybody look at number one. What do you think? What do we need to change? If you can make it um, even kind of more of an exercise if you've included examples of good language as well as examples of sentences with errors, because then for each one you can ask the students, look at this sentence, is it correct or is there an error, right? And if there's an error, if the students tell you, okay, I think there's a mistake, then from there you can ask them, okay, what do we need to change? How do we need to correct it? You can even tell the students, let's say you show them six sentences, you can tell them three of these sentences have errors, three of these sentences are perfectly correct, right? Kind of give them a clue so they know exactly what they're looking for. Okay, so that's how we can deal with errors if they're made during a fluency focus kind of exercise. We can either ignore the error if we decide that it's something that we don't need to correct at all, or we can address the error in a delayed error correction stage later on. All right, so let's go back to our question. When you first hear the error, ask yourself, is this an accuracy moment? And now, what if the answer is yes? It is an accuracy moment. So the student made a pronunciation mistake on the pronunciation of the word that we're modeling and drilling, right? 
definitely an accuracy moment. The entire purpose of doing that is to get that word correct in terms of the pronunciation. So we're absolutely going to want to address that. So if the answer is yes, this is an accuracy moment, then we want to correct the error on the spot. So here are some ways we can correct errors on the spot. The first option is to repeat what the student said, repeat it back to the student, but with the correct version. Right? You still want to try to get the student to be the last person to say it correctly. But let's say the student says something like, um, let's say you ask the student what they did over the weekend, and the student says, I go to my cousin's house. So one option is to just repeat back what the student said, but repeat it with the corrected version. So you could say, oh, I went to my cousin's house, or, oh, that's great, you went to your cousin's house. Right, putting a little bit of extra emphasis on the word that you've changed and corrected. Again, ideally, the student would then say, oh, yes, yes, I went to my cousin's house. Okay, right, you still hopefully want the student to be the last person to say it, just so it kind of sticks, and the student has then acknowledged that they understand the correction. Um, so that's, that's the ideal version. This is called recasting. So if you think of you take the student's language, you recast it, kind of reformulate it and give it back. I think the more fun term for this is correctoing, right? So you're echoing the response back, but you're echoing back the corrected version. So you can correcto the student's response. Uh, this is a nice technique simply because it's fairly unobtrusive. It's quick, it's easy, it's efficient, right? It doesn't interrupt the conversation a whole bunch and it doesn't require a whole bunch of um, analysis or deep thought in the moment for the student. Um, however, it's not ideal all the time um, because it's pretty teacher-fronted. Like as the teacher, you're just giving the student the corrected version. You're not really getting the student to stop and identify the error him or herself and attempt to correct the error him or herself. So again, good because it's quick and efficient, but if we can, it's always preferable to try to prompt the student to self-correct. So here are some ways you can try to get the student to self-correct. Let's use that same error as an example. Uh, the student says, I go to my cousin's house. You can, first of all, one option is you can repeat back exactly what the student said with the error, but with rising intonation to indicate that something is wrong. And if you're on camera, if you're online, you can even use a facial expression that shows, you know, confusion, if that helps. So, for example, the student says, I go to my cousin's house. You can say, you go to your cousin's house. You go. This shows that, this, that there's something wrong here, right? So the student might notice it. That might be enough for the student to hear that and think, okay, she's saying it like something's weird, right? What did I do wrong? And then the student is prompted to rethink whatever they just said and try to correct the error. You can also repeat back what the student just said, but stop just before the word that was the error. So for example, you could say, this weekend you, or this weekend you, what? And in that case, again, it might be enough for the student to realize it's going to cause them to, to focus on whatever word you didn't say, right, the goad word in this case, and make them rethink it because it's going to make them say it back. And so they might notice the mistake and again, correct it themselves. If they don't, you can give them a clue 
Or then you can just go back to the correct going where you say you went to your cousin's house. Another option that I particularly like for lower level learners is to give them two choices. So again, let's say the student says, I go to my cousin's house. You can stop for a moment and say, you go to your cousin's house, goed or went? So because you've just stopped and given two options, one of which is not what the student just said, it's probably going to be quite obvious that there was an error and that the student should choose whichever one they didn't say, right? They're probably going to say, oh, okay, yeah, I guess it's went. Um, but that's okay. It's also quick. It's efficient. It's easy. And I like this for lower levels because it doesn't put so much pressure on them. They're not just trying to to fish for the answer in all of the knowledge that they have in their brain of English at that particular time. They can just pick the right one, feel good about it, but you're still getting the student to say it, not you initially. Um, so it's still more student-centered than just recasting or correctoing. Uh, another option is you can give the student a little clue. So if they say, I go to my cousin's house, Maybe you say something like, okay, remember, go is an irregular verb, so so you're giving them this clue that just adding the ed like they've tried to do doesn't work with this particular verb. Um, this one works a little bit better with higher level students where they have more of a sense of the different grammar rules that they've learned previously and can kind of put all of that together quickly. Um, and then finally, something that I have really enjoyed doing now that I've been teaching online and using PowerPoint for everything for my board work is if I'm getting feedback and I'm actually writing what the students are saying, typing into the slide as they give me the answer, um, what I'll do is type word for word what the student has said up until the error and wherever the incorrect word or part of the sentence was that had the error, I'll leave that blank. So I'll actually just use an underscore, you know, like a bunch of underscores in a row to create a little blank space. So the students can see that I've omitted one of the things that they said. So maybe if I'm for some reason <laughs> typing up their ideas or, you know, typing up what they're telling me that they did over the weekend, for that particular student's sentence, I might type I blank, 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 to my cousin's house. And so as the student is watching me do this, they can see that I've typed up all of the words that are correct, but I very obviously left out one. And now they can see that blank and it almost becomes a spontaneous fill in the blank exercise where they now know that goad isn't correct and they have to figure out what is correct. So try that out if you'd like as well. That's a really nice way um, I found also to do feedback on, for example, a controlled practice exercise, anything where you're actually typing up the answers as the students say them, it's a great way to indicate to the students that there is an error and to get them to self-correct. And the best part is you don't have to say a word out loud. So it's really great for minimizing your teacher talk and keeping the focus completely on the students. All right, so that's my advice for when to correct errors how to correct errors, and the only question that we didn't cover yet was whether or not you should correct every error that the students make, and I hope at this point you know that the answer is no. Um, I've certainly had students think 
<laughs> that that's a good idea, um, especially one-on-one -on -one students. For some reason, if you're working with a student one-on-one, -on -one, they kind of take that as an opportunity to, you know, if, if they want to get as much as they can right out of that hour with you or whatever it is. And so I've had students who say things like, okay, you know, I'm so excited we get to have these one-on-one -on -one lessons. And now that it's just me and it's not a group class, please correct me every single time you hear me make a mistake. Well, what you can't really say to the student is that, okay, no matter how proficient your English is at this point, you're going to make more mistakes than I can possibly correct in an hour, right? And also, the accuracy and fluency balance comes into play. So it's not actually helpful to correct every single error the student makes all the time. You still have to think about, is this an accuracy moment or is this a fluency moment? If it's a fluency moment, you're actually doing more harm than good if you stop and correct the student every time they make an error. Um, so you need to find that balance. Keep asking yourself that question, is this an accuracy moment? And that should help you understand whether you should correct in that moment, whether you should correct later, or whether you don't actually need to address that error at all. All right, well, thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope you found this useful. Um, as always, feel free to reach out and let me know what you thought. Um, if you are listening on the TEFL Horizons website, you can comment down below at the bottom of this episode and let me know if this was helpful or let me know your favorite methods of error correction. What do you do with your students? Um, and as always, you can reach out and email me at info at and let me know if you want to hear something in particular in an upcoming episode. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Until next time. Thanks again for joining me. Feel free to leave a comment on this episode or reach out to me directly at info at and let me know what you want to hear in upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and take a few seconds to leave a quick review. It helps so much in getting the word out there. And of course, if you know other teachers or travelers, I'd love for you to share this with them too. Stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, head to tefelhorizons.com for more resources and teaching tips. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons. <laughs>